Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Thursday the 12th of November. Today, 9-11's delayed legacy. We hear from the father of a policeman who worked at Ground Zero and who died last month from a brain tumour. God, everything you can think of that would kill you was in the air. Uh, the amazing thing is, is that it's taken until now for people, a lot of people to start coming down very sick. Also today, the Glasgow North East by-election and fears that the BNP will make inroads into Scotland. Security, identity and democracy. Use your vote for the British National Party. The BNP is a Nazi party. The BNP is a Nazi party. And Roy Greenslade on the son's attacks on Gordon Brown over his handwritten letter to a bereaved mother. They totally went over the top. It's a disproportionate attack on the man given the nature of his eyesight, given the fact that he clearly showed good intent. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk First, Bill Overton with the news headlines. Families of soldiers killed in Afghanistan are outraged the Minister of Defence has paid £47 million in bonuses to civil servants this year. 50000 were paid the performance-related cash, but the MOD says the average payout is less than £1,000. One bereaved mother calls the payments obscene. The former commander of British troops in Bosnia, Colonel Bob Stewart, thinks no civil servant should be getting a bonus when troops are fighting for their lives. Three teenagers have been charged with manslaughter after the death of a woman in Bodmin, Cornwall. Mary Fox died in a fire last week after a firework was pushed through her letterbox. The three will appear in court today. Gordon Brown says migrant workers will only be allowed to fill jobs temporarily until labour shortages are solved. The Prime Minister is to announce tightening the controls on immigration in a speech later. He also says hospital consultants and civil engineers from outside Europe will no longer be able to get jobs in Britain. As Barack Obama continues to debate whether to send more troops to Afghanistan, a leaked message from the US ambassador in Kabul says he is against the idea. He questions the competence of the Afghan government and its handling of corruption. And it's polling day in Glasgow North East. Voters will be deciding who should replace the former Commons Speaker Michael Martin as MP. We'll hear more about that shortly. The MOD Civil Servants Bonuses gets the most strident headlines in today's papers. MOD pen pushers get 47 million bonus, says the Telegraph. Indefensible, says the Mail, as British soldiers die in Afghanistan for lack of vital equipment. A couple of papers try to be encouraging about our economy. Britain on the mend, writes the Express, quoting the Governor of the Bank of England, who says growth could be up to 4% next year. The Financial Times agrees Mervyn King has sharply upgraded its forecasts, but along with the Telegraph, the paper warns the recovery will be bumpy, slow and unstable. And our paper's late front page splash is that Labour plans John Lewis Public Services, meaning the government thinks this is the way to revive our depressed public sector. The idea is to copy the department store and allow staff and users to control schools, hospitals and even housing associations. There's more news and sport throughout the day at guardian.co.uk. There have been warnings of an epidemic of cancer among rescuers who worked at Ground Zero after the 9-11 terror attacks on New York. Up to 70,000 people worked for months at the site of the World Trade Centre amid a toxic soup of dust and chemicals. 
There's pressure for Congress to pass legislation that would create a $10 billion fund that would help emergency workers who've become ill since 9-11. Five firefighters and police officers involved in the clear-up at the site of the Twin Towers have died of cancer in the last three months. One was Robert Grossman, a Harlem police officer who died of a brain tumour aged just 41. I spoke to his father, Stephen. Well, he was home when, and I didn't know this, uh, I was playing golf, and then uh, when I heard when I got off the golf course late morning what had happened, and I called my daughter-in-law and said, is Robert at work? Is he down there? What? And he says, no, but he's going in. He was on a day off, and then he got a call to come in. And when he did, he finally got in the city. He was sent down to ground zero in the late afternoon. And uh, he was down there for quite a while, for a few weeks. And I didn't know exactly how many days, uh, cleaning up and doing whatever was asked to do. I mean, it's an uh, un- unimaginable task uh, for anybody. Yeah, you could speak to anybody who was down there, and I've spoken to others. And I, I couldn't even begin to, to grasp, you know, what these, these people were going through. And yet they did it. They did it without thinking then. Were they issued anything to protect them? No, but, you know, then they were given paper masks. Gee, that really helped. <laughs> Those first night or so, I don't even think they had that. But that's, like, useless. Because they, they came into contact with uh, an amazing kind of cocktail of chemicals, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, everything you can think of that would kill you was in the air. Uh, the amazing thing is, is that it's taken until now for people to, a lot of people to start coming down very sick uh, with this. Uh, you know, there were some who reacted right away. It took for my son, it took him five years before he was first diagnosed in 2006, in April of 2006. And uh, others, is just every day there's just more and more people, and there's going to be more. It's not hundreds, it's going to be thousands. And it's not just police and fire and emergency service workers and EMT and Port Authority police. It's going to be construction workers, volunteers. It's going to number in the thousands over the next decade or more. There's now this um, campaign to create a federal fund to help um, people like Robert and their families. Can you tell us a bit about that? I know it's there, and I know that there is a bill in committee, but it's not going to address, it's not going to help my family. I mean, thank God uh, they're not going to go broke and not lose their houses and, you know, my daughter-in-law. But there are others who might, who are being forced out or have to retire at half pay and pay taxes on it and who have tremendous medical expenses and that eventually a lot of this stuff won't be covered. See, my, my thing is that I, I think it should all be covered, that the finest medical care without question should be given to these people. And will one or two or three or four get through that don't really deserve it? Yes. But the thousands that do, do deserve it, and they're getting screwed. They just have their basic coverage, nothing over and above. And these are people who went down there without it. They didn't blink. They kept going down there. They stayed down there. They didn't think of themselves like that. They knew it was bad. How can you not know and breathe that stuff in and know it's not going to have a bad effect? And yet they didn't, not one of them walked away. Not one of them said no. 
It amazes me. And yet, how does this country treat them? Well, let's, let's wait another 20 years and then they'll all die off. We don't have to worry about it. Stephen Grossman. And there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash September 11. Also on The Guardian's website today... I'm Andrew Dixon. I'm the arts editor of Guardian.co.uk. On the site today, we have a new series on the book site, which is looking at the literature of the noughties. We want your help picking out the greatest hits of 2000. On the film site, we'll be uh, peeling back the years to look at the real history behind Laurence Olivier's cartoon. And Jonathan Glancy, our architecture critic, will be looking at Art Deco, the BBC's new series, and asking whether it's all it's cracked up to be. That's all at guardian.co.uk forward slash culture. Voters go to the polls today in the Glasgow North East by-election. Labour's been making intense efforts to mobilise their supporters, with fears that a low turnout will benefit the far-right British National Party. The Guardian's John Harris met the BNP candidate Charlie Bailey, along with a lot of the other people standing in the election, including Labour's Willie Bain. I am intrigued with some aspects of your policy platform, particularly this one. It says here, you support increases to child benefit, child tax credit, and arguably the most important, and the minimum wage every year. Yes. Uh, some, if not all of those things, are not Labour Party policy. Where does that sit, then, as regards you and your relationship with the government and all of that? Well, what Gordon Brown and the other ministers said in their conference speech is that these are commitments that we're making at the general election. You know, These are some commitments that have been through our national policy forum, they've been announced at annual conference. These are things that we want to do. and The, mi- the minimum wage is going up every year? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that we, we cut that pay gap between the richest and the poorest, and the minimum wage is a critical way of doing that. Well, the first, I, th- I would have thought that would pitch you slightly to the left of the government. Well, these are commitments that we're making at the general election. We're here at North Glasgow College, a higher education establishment in the constituency, very recently built, very gleaming looking, in keeping with those 74 years of Labour neglect, and we're here to try and find Ruth Davidson, the Conservative candidate in this by-election. Forgive me being blunt, the Conservative candidate in Glasgow North East, some would say, why are you bothering? Uh, I think that's uh, quite a rude question, <laughs> uh, to be honest, and not me. rude to me, it's rude to the people of Glasgow North East. Why shouldn't they have a full electorate to choose from? Why shouldn't they be able to look at the people who are hoping to form the next government of this country, to people who have plans about unemployment, about joblessness, about issues that are incredibly important to people in this What's area? What's the Tory message here as against... The message from your opponents. What distinguishes what you're bringing here politically? Well, well, look, I mean, look at the landscape. You've had a Labour MP for 74 years here. You've had a Labour-controlled council for 50. You've had Labour in government in London for 12 years. You have huge rates of unemployment here as part of Labour's recession and Labour's job crisis. Now, when people care about their own situation, no, they I'm care not. about I mean, the that's fact what people have said to me. They care about the fact that they're kids are in college and might not get a job at the end of it and what is it that we can do about that well do you know what we have plans on that and that's what I've been going from door to door to door to tell people security identity and democracy use your vote for the British National Party this Thursday for local candidate Charlie Bailey the BNP is a Nazi party the BNP is a Nazi party the BNP is a Nazi party I've got a family in Airdrie, right? Yes. Now, my uncle 
is a first-generation British person of Nigerian yes. parents who married a white British person, and all my cousins are mixed race and live in Cote Bridge. Are they ethnic or civic British? Which I one? would suggest that uh, also coming into it are people who obviously have nationality, and uh, that depends on where they're born. So then basically they are legally British by birth, and that is acceptable for us. Of course it is. And people who are here... But they're, long, they're civically British, as yeah, you can say, rather than ethnically British. Absolutely. Ethnic British are people Whereas I'm like ethnic, I'm ethnically British. Absolutely. John Smeaton, how do you go from being the baggage handler who famously tackled the terrorists at Glasgow Airport to standing in a by-election? For you, what's the plan? I, I mean, I, I, you're not going to win. You never know. Stranger <laughs> things have happened in this world. You, you, think you really think I'm you're going to I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be in it if I didn't think I could win it. I just want to really get in, stir the pot, and even if I do not win, if I make the big parties have to actually get up and do something here, then I see my campaign as a success. John Smeaton, ending that report by John Harris. And you can see a longer version of that feature at guardian.co.uk slash politics. I'm John Dennis. Still to come on Guardian Daily, Cindy Crawford on Skinny Models. People want to find something to... I think an eating disorder is way more than a girl looking at a magazine. But first, fans are mourning Germany's goalkeeper, Robert Enker, who took his own life on Tuesday night. He was hit by a train. Enker had kept his depression secret for fear of losing his adopted daughter. His other daughter, Lara, died in 2006 from a rare heart condition. Raphael Honigstein is Guardian.co.uk's German football correspondent. It's an understatement. Uh, to say that uh, Germany's perplexed, speechless, helpless. These are the words that uh, Oliver Bierhoff, the general manager, used, and he actually broke down in tears on the podium at the press conference, unable to continue. And that kind of uh, picture really sums up how the rest of Germany feels, and especially his teammates, of course. And there have been tributes from Angela Merkel and from football fans and clubs across the world. How have fans at his club, Hanover 96, responded to this tragedy? Well, with disbelief, uh, shock, um, utter sadness, really engulfing the whole city. He was a very popular guy, very soft, uh, softly spoken, very intelligent, not really confirming to the uh, usual stereotype of German goalkeepers as big, brash egomaniacs. He was the exact opposite. And, uh, you know, he's had some problems in the past, of course, losing his daughter. Uh, he was only two when she succumbed to a heart condition was a big blow for him but he always seemed to be able to come back but uh, I guess we never knew the full extent of his problems and sadly he saw himself in a position where there was no way out. He actually suffered from depression for several years before the tragic death of his two-year-old daughter in 2006. Yes that's right his widow uh, confirmed as much. Um, he kept it very quiet. Um, nobody really suspected anything because he developed over the years mechanisms to cope with that, to uh, disguise the fact that he was in perhaps more trouble than, than people thought he was. Do you think the shock of Robert Enker's death may encourage people who do suffer in silence with um, conditions such as depression to, to come up out and be more open about it? You would like to think so, that this would be one, or perhaps the only positive outcome of this whole sad tragedy. Um, when Sebastian Deisler came public about his, uh, his depression, I uh, thought he brought new, broke new ground uh, for professional football, a really 
uh, openly talking about his illness and, and ways to combat. Uh, the problem was, of course, that he never really recovered, and perhaps that put others off from following a similar line and being open about it. But you're right. I mean, one can only hope that people look close, not only at themselves, but also at their teammates, and perhaps pick up on early warning, warning signs uh, much better and much earlier than, than before. Raphael Honigstein. The Sun newspaper faces a public backlash over its criticism of Gordon Brown and his letter to a bereaved mother whose son died in Helmand province. The Sun, which is now supporting the Conservatives after backing Labour since 1997, accused the Prime Minister of insensitivity for misspelling Jackie Jane's surname. But former Daily Mirror editor Roy Greenslade is a media commentator for The Guardian. He says The Sun and its new editor, Dominic Mohan, have misjudged the public mood. I think they made a dramatic misjudgment here. They went in with hobnail boots, fists, uh, a knife which they twisted, and they have really trampled all over Gordon Brown, and there has been a backlash against them for so doing. They totally went over the top. It's a disproportionate attack on the man, given the nature of his eyesight, given the fact that he clearly showed good intent. I mean, even if the execution was not so good, he obviously intended to do well by this woman. And they have really, in a sense, used a grief-stricken, grieving woman for their own political ends. And, and the son itself misspelt Mrs. Jane's name on its website. Well, that's significant, isn't it? I mean, I looked very carefully at the letter, um, and I don't think that Gordon Brown did misspell it, actually. I think it's just extremely bad handwriting. But even if he did, it's, um, it's, it's a slight error, really. He is really writing a letter to um, try and offer his condolences. And um, I think that we should, and, and everyone should, as, as the commenters to the Sun's own site have said, have given him best for having done that. I mean, he could have simply said, my handwriting's pretty bad, I'll have a typed letter and so on, which would have been very formal, lacking um, in compassion. Um, and he did try, and I think that people generally, I've been on several phoning programs this week, and, uh, and all, uh, the overwhelming majority of people that have responded say that um, the son has misbehaved by attacking Gordon Brown over this matter. Roy, is Peter Mandelson right about the Faustian pact between the Sun News International and the Conservative Party? I have no idea whether any agreement has been made, um, but it strikes me as ironic uh, that Peter Mandelson should say this um, about the relationship between Murdoch and the Tories when the Tories were saying just the same about Labour's relationship with Rupert Murdoch um, several years ago. Um, the belief always is that he lines himself up with a political party that offers him commercial opportunities. But there is no proof of this, and I doubt that there will be any obvious proof of it. Um, I would have thought uh, that Murdoch has made a decision based on who's likely to win the election rather than any particular commercial favours. Roy Greenslade. Supermodel Cindy Crawford retired from modelling almost 10 years ago. G2's Hannah Poole asked her if she thinks models are too thin. Well, I mean, I think the girls that are models now, they're, that's just their body. I think, I think, you know, just like, did fashion celebrate thinness more? 
that's a different question. I mean, because you can't fault the models for that. Those girls are just thin girls. Like, even Kate Moss is thin. She eats. I've seen her eat. She's thin. Um, I think that that fashion, though, it's all about extreme in a way. And it's also a kind of an... It has to change. It's constantly in flux. So, you know, it's just fashion. It's just fashion. That's that's what I feel about it. But fashion does get blamed often for um, encouraging eating disorders. Yeah, I think that's a like a little bit of a stretch. Um, but I don't I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm certainly not one of the people that they've ever blamed because I'm not super skinny. So, you know, I, I think that people want to find something to fault. I think an eating disorder is way more than a girl looking at a magazine and seeing a picture of a skinny model. I think maybe that's one tiny piece of the puzzle, but I think it's a lot more about self-esteem. There was a time when um, when everybody talked to the, of the supermodels not getting out of bed for £10,000, yeah. for less than £10,000. Was that true? probably regrets the day that she said that. Did she say pounds or dollars? dollars in yeah. yeah, I think she said dollars. Well... I mean, I don't know what she was talking about, but she was, I mean, anyway, that was a crazy thing to say. You know, the thing that, the misperception is that, you know, if every time you do a Vogue cover or something like that, you don't really make any money. And then there's other times where you're doing a big advertising campaign, a a cosmetic commercial or something where you make a ton of money. Um, And maybe it averages, averages out. I don't, I don't quite know what the, what the going rate is for everybody else. Um, I think that we all make choices, obviously, you know, when I make decisions now about what I'm going to do, money is one consideration, but it's not its not the only nor the greatest. I mean, it's like, does this fit with my image and the brand, my brand and the other brands that I'm already associated with? Would you consider yourself a feminist? You know, I, I guess in some ways, but I also feel like people of my generation, we didn't, I didn't grow up thinking I had to prove that I was equal to boys. I just assumed I was because of the feminist before before me. I, I, I never felt like that I had to be that cause. I mean, do I feel women should earn the same amount of money as men for the same job? Absolutely. Cindy Crawford talking to Hannah Poole. Phil Maynard and Tim Maybe produced today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thank you for listening. 